Hello and welcome to Tokyo Inklings. My name is CY. You can find me on my website at tokyostationpens.com, on Instagram and TikTok at tokyostationpens, and on Twitter at tokyostationmnh. My name is Jacob. I'm a Fudo fan on TikTok and YouTube and whatever else I sign up recently. Hi, I'm Elisa. I'm Inky Rocks on uh, everything else too. Yeah. Hello, I'm April from <laughs> Penguins Creative, um, also from the Stationery Cafe. Excited to be here. <laughs> and thank you, everybody. We're here recording once again live in person for episode 70. And I feel like every two weeks I see this number creep up. I'm like a little bit more excited because I feel like, you know,、uh, we're almost at that 100 mark. I feel like once we're at 75, we can say, okay, we're around 100, right? It's like, it's like age. When you're 25, you're still in your early 20s. But once you turn 26, you're like、uh, in the late 20s now. That's how, that's how I'm feeling right now. Super excited to have us、uh, all in person together.、Um, and of course, the last episode, which was very, very late to upload because mainly of me,、uh, I forgot to, or I was、uh, busy and did not upload the last episode until a few days ago. So I guess we'll have bonus double whammy. Yeah, that, that was partially my fault as well because I did the Instagram, right? And then after the live, you can choose whether to save the stream. And I did not. You did save the stream because I was on Twitch. And before, Twitch had saved the, the video on demand for 14 days, but they reduced it to seven days in December、uh, or in September. And I didn't know. So I was like, oh, I have 14 days to, to go back and download the, the audio. And I forgot to record on my computer. So I had to actually get the video from Reels. How did you download the audio? I just went on a website and was like,、oh, I entered the link and then it downloaded the audio. So it's still on, it's still on the, the, the Instagram page for anybody who wants to listen. But we had some snafus. <laughs> we had some snafus. But, anyways, double whammy for, for the listeners、uh, this week. And、uh, we're really excited because we're going to, first of all, recap、uh, our Tokyo International Pen Show adventures. And then we'll have April talk a little bit about why she's in Japan, why she's in the room with us. And there's, I think, a lot of news this week. A lot of things have been happening. So, we're excited to、uh, jump right into that. And so, last time we did the recording、uh, with four people,、uh, we were criticized, if you remember, CY. We, I think that this. <laughs> we were too spicy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was not it. The blokes spoke too much. Let the ladies talk. Ah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So,、um, obviously, we have a tips veteran.、Uh, I think you've been a volunteer. Every year since the second year, right?、Uh, and so you really know the ins and outs of Tokyo International Pen Show. So let me ask first the first question、uh, Do you think the Tokyo International Pen Show has evolved over the years? And then this year being the first year after, you know, kind of quote unquote post COVID closure, at least for Japan, the borders finally opened up just in time for, for tips. Do you think、um, there was a difference between this year and last year in particular? Well, I think, first of all, we just need to remember that the The TIPS it was born right before COVID. So it really just had a huge like, handicap. But still, this year they had 1,800 people come. And when we talk about it being open, you know, the borders are open, hardly anybody knew and hardly anybody was prepared. I mean, it opened and TIPS started. So、mm-hmm. the opening of the border really wasn't that big of a player. They still had 1,800 people, 70 some volunteers, 100 you know, vendors. For someone that's just so hobbled, for a show that's so hobbled, they've just done fantastic. And they've run it so well 
that, I mean, when you have 70 volunteers, they feed them like these thousand yen bentos for three days, right? So that's a huge amount of money. And then we're, I'm going to a, a volunteer like party tomorrow where they're paying for our food and everything. It's just, I know we kind of like, and I, me particularly, kind of like don't like all the extra meetings and stuff we have to do and all the rules, but they just plan it so smoothly and it's run so well that when, you know, when like next year, when we've been for a full year where people are actually coming to Japan, it's going to explode. And I think it's going to be the biggest pen show in the world. So what, yeah, so about that, so about the number you said of 1800, which is very impressive, but it could have been higher, but it was capped at Absolutely, 1800. Absolutely, for the whole COVID thing, exactly. Yeah, yeah, because they were restricted by the, the rules of that, you know, building of whoever's running the building that could not have more than X number of people at an appointed in time. So they could not, they could only set a certain number of tickets and the tickets sold out. They sold out, um, I think, a few weeks before the show actually started. Yeah. And there were 400, um, 400 tickets for each time block. They could have they could have sold infinite number of tickets. Well, they would have been very crowded, but they could not sell more ticket, tickets than that. So I think they mentioned the organizers that they might do something different next year. So yeah. they might have... And might, and might possibly be able to buy tickets at the mm. door. That really hurts when people show up and want to go, but it's all advanced sale tickets. So they're kind of limited by that. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just shocked at... You know, I uh, I'm I always have to sit through these long two three hour meetings. You know, and half the stuff I don't understand. And you know, we're going line by line over something I had Google translated earlier. But I just got to give it to them. It's probably the most smoothest run thing. I'm not talking pen shows. Just the smoothest run project I think I've ever seen. They really got it together. Uh, one one thing that I think I've mentioned previously on the podcast, which is this international part, right? Uh, and there, there are some snafus when it comes to international attendees because the system that they use, which is um, Pass Market on Yahoo Japan, doesn't allow you to buy tickets from uh, foreign credit cards. So it was really difficult for for overseas visitors to actually acquire tickets. They had to DM or send an email to the organizers and they had to get something done. But also, on top of that, I think a lot of the vendors, they were not equipped to speak in English or to interact with a lot of the customers. And they've been okay so far because, obviously, COVID, border closures, they're mostly Japanese people or people living in Japan. How do you think, um, and, and I heard this rumor that the organizers don't really want the English-speaking volunteers to you know, help man the booths. How do you think that impacts the attendance and obviously the sales, which is really important to vendors? And do you think that's going to change uh, going forward? Well, well, first off, you know, this is Japan where everybody says they can't speak English and they really can. You know, they just don't want to be the one that's bumbling around and you're the, the bumbler. So when I think it comes to making a sale, pointing and like showing a number on a calculator is going to work. Um, so I don't think that's going to be so much of a problem. But we did have like so many volunteers this year and more and more gaijin are looking to volunteer. So I think they may like, you know, I've gone by and just like, just cursely said, hey, he wants this. He's asking that or whatever. I don't think they mind that. They just don't want someone standing there and them being responsible for a sale. Everything's about legality and responsibility right here in Japan. So um, they don't want me to try to with my bad Japanese, trying to translate between two people, and then now they've made like a sale, and both sides don't quite understand it, and it's my fault. 
that's what they're, I think they're really looking to protect themselves with. But I have like just stopped in and just said, hey, this is this and that or whatever. But I think um, as more and more people show up, I think there's just going to be like, like, I don't know, when you're shopping here in Tokyo and you show up and you go to Itoya and they suppose you don't speak English. You know, you just kind of ask them how much and they just show you in a calculator and you pull out your money or your credit card and that works, you know. So I don't think it's really going to impact it that much. I think possibly, I don't know, from the vendor side, what, what do you think it would have been harder, you know, like for um, Ben, if you, you know, if uh, you hadn't been there and stuff? Well, first, I think it's really good for, for you to clear it up on that perspective, an organizer's perspective, because I think from an attendee's point of view, you rarely get to hear that kind of rationale. Um, I think for for definitely uh, foreign booths, and I remember this was the case also with Franklin Christoph, where they could not communicate with the customer. Um, I think for foreign customers, it's probably fine, but Japanese customers, I feel like, are a bit more shy. Yeah. So yeah. they're more afraid to approach a booth yeah, with that's foreigners. It. That's it. Yeah. I don't think it's so much the communication. It's just that they're going to be intimidated and not want to go ask. So, you know, having someone that could speak Japanese or look like they could speak Japanese or signs in Japanese in the front of your booth or something would probably help. But that's the main thing. I don't think it's so much the communication, but probably more so that they're just going to go, hey, I, I can't, you know, like that guy, Chris Sell. You know, he sells all kinds of pens, right? He looks very gaijin, but he, he's got his wife there, and she's she does the translations, and they're like, you know, hotcakes. So. And I think, like, this this points to a, an interesting difference in the pen show culture. Uh, both April and I, we were at the DC and SF shows, where obviously it was super crowded. Basically, the attendees just rushed at the tables. And you know, <laughs> I brought up Franklin Christoph. Franklin Christoph came in 2019. And they, I think they were expecting more people to come at them, but it was very quiet. And even like on the third day, they still had some of their special edition stuff. So the, the culture is also a little bit different. The buying culture is a little bit different as well. So I think it's, it's important for vendors to get used to it or at least understand and appreciate that. So, April, we're going to see you at next year's Tokyo Pen Show. <laughs> I wish I could come. Is it, It's usually like early, late October, yeah. early November, right? That's that's when I plan. This year, I, I came at a very unfortunate timing between Tokyo International Pen Show and Funko Joji Haku. <laughs> Two missed opportunities. Because yeah. you came like the day after, after. <laughs> the the I think we were on planes we, we going flew the by other each direction. Other in the air. Yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> there is a pen show going on right now, though, but you would have to hop on a Shinkansen yeah. to Kobe. He asked me if I would want to go to Kobe Pen Show with him, and I'm like, I just literally came back from Kyoto <laughs> five days ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do have a interesting uh, kind of fun story at the Tokyo International Pen Show, personally, and I think a lot of listeners or followers might know that I've been creating stack nibs for, for quite a while now, almost two years now. And obviously I get the very great opportunity to, to be able to just go up to Nagarasan every couple months and say, Hey, what do you think? Anything that you, you know, any advice or hints you can give me. And I'm not asking them to train me, but you know, just get some, some thoughts. 
And um, and I always get very valuable insight from Nagasan. And this time, I brought a carved 14 karat gold pen BBS nib to Nagasan. I said, you know, hey, what do you think? And there's an issue when you weld nibs that they kind of open up because you're you're fusing metal together. And so when you do that, it kind of opens up a little bit. It kind of shifts positions. But if you look at sailor's nibs, they're always super clean. And I wasn't really sure how to do that. So this was on the second day uh, at the vendor's time, uh, where it was really funny. We were all in line, and there was a procession, and they, they handed out, like, alcoholic drinks. And there was this, like, uh, cheers, and everybody's, yeah. And Nakhasan, um, he, he's quite, uh, he's not super, super old, but he's, he's a... Uh, Fairly in the Ojisan camp, I think. I think it's fair to say, right? He's he's past retirement age, and he smelled like he just came out of an izakaya. Okay, <laughs> he had like three whiskeys and, and, and like two highballs or whatever. You clearly had been drinking. He looks at my my nib. He says, mm, mm. "Can I fix it?" I'm like, okay, go ahead. And so he's there, and then 20 minutes later, he's you know, showing me what to do and telling me how to fix it. 20 minutes later, he has nib, and it's completely flush with each other. And it's just incredible. And this episode really reaffirms to me that, okay, Nagahara-san, he is the grandmaster. He is the grandmaster. And, uh, and I appreciate that. And, you know, his... Um, his prices do reflect that, but I think it's fair. And yeah, I, now I can say drunk Nagahara fixed my nibs. <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty friendly too when he's had yeah. a little bit too much. And I, I got information uh, while I was talking to him that his son, third generation Nagahara, will start offering grinds next year from, from January. And uh, Nagahara, I think, is thinking uh, or considering, I don't know if this is public information, but I guess now it is. Uh, he's considering a price increase so that his son can do the grinds at the current price, and then he'll have like a you know grandmaster price, which I also don't think is unfair. So I think it, it's quite a nice way to you know differentiate uh, the grandmaster and the master. And yeah, I, I'm personally very excited to maybe get a grind from Nagara um, the third. So so that was my personal pen show uh, anecdote. Jacob, any fun story that you have from, from the show afterwards? Um, so our common acquaintance, uh, Kanesaki-san, he, always, he looks like he's very shy, but when he starts talking, he just never stops. Uh, yeah, and he had some hot takes that I can't even mention here. Maybe he told you the same thing. He has some very strong opinions about some fellow the pen makers. Um, it's always fun to talk to him. And and the thing is, he says it, but in a very matter of fact way. Like what he's saying, you think he's making a joke, but he's not. He's like completely deadpan, super sincere and, and serious. Um, but you got a pen uh, from Kanesaki-san, right? Yeah, I got a Bakelite pen, and it's just like freaking awesome. So, and, and now I'm—I I'm, don't know—you you were there with us, you know, and I got it at Wagner, and he was like really, um, like approaching me with a stick, 
like he thought I might bite or something, you know. He was very, very standoffish and very, I think, um, I don't know, just like, what is she, why is she talking to me, you know. And then after I got the pen and ordered it, and then she, like, actually paid for it, and she, like, took it. Now, like, he has no problem talking to me. And like you said, it was just like, I mean, I had about gnaw my arm off, you know, to, oh, to get away, you know. But, I mean, he's super full of information, just, yeah, he's totally a different person. But the pen is just awesome and he's like now super excited to talk to you too oh absolutely yeah he'll come wave you down yeah because i think it's kind of like the the japanese thing about maybe establishing some trust first and you know i I pay my bills so whatever (laughs) yeah so he was at h works table right so i talked to him at the h works table and then i walked away (laughs) he came he followed me (laughs) and he he continued the conversation he had something more to say because I had stopped by some other pen makers and he had some commentary on some other pen makers. <laughs> but his work is, is phenomenal. I yeah. mean, I just, I own a Bakelite pen. You know, I used to eat off of Bakelite when I was a kid in the 50s, you know, and that was just really, it's a really cool pen. I'll probably have to post it or something. So we're looking forward to the video. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, Can I just say one more thing about uh, the Tokyo Pen Show? I mean, I, I talked to Alice about this too. That I feel like this pen show, for better or worse, is very much a reflection of the market here, which is that you have the younger people that have that look at you know the, the wooden ballpoints, the shimmering inks, and the dip pens, and then you have the wealthy and older people. The stereotype, but mostly true, older people buying you know the Uruchi Maki, and even and even you know the um, the, the fancy sailors and so on. I, I feel like there is, if you are a younger person and you just want a or share a little affordable fountain pen that you can write in your planner with with shimmering ink you don't there isn't much at tips to be excited about well i don't know if i agree with that uh by the way translators note oshare means trendy um like we had we had uh Hachimunja there with all of their exclusive pens uh, i forgot to buy the gasson um and then we had uh, we had Ismar next to me, uh, we had Liptope, and then we had um, Kobashi. So I think our corner was pretty like Oshare pens and, and shimmerings. Yeah, but you were talking about pens in like a thirty thousand to fifty thousand pen range. I'm talking about far cheaper than that. So what I mean is, like, if you think about some foreign brands like Twispy and Kaweco and Lame, well, they are very good at is making new limited edition versions of their affordable pens uh, every few months. Right? There's new Lame Safari, there's new Kaweco Sport, and Pearlescent, whatever, and a new purple Twispy Echo every few months, right? And that is very much affordable, and most people can buy that, and you can get a, a collection of Twispy Echoes in every color of the rainbow, right? Increasing the privileged few can do that for Sailor Pro Gage. That's true. That is That is very, very true. Um, and apparently, if you don't earn in Japanese yen, you become one of those privileged few. <laughs> All right. Um, so that's our uh, kind of long, actually, um, tips recap. I want to shift gears a little bit here, uh, put the spotlight on April. Uh, April, I know you're very tired because we just had uh, morning sushi, but... Um, you're obviously now here sitting in the room with us in Tokyo. Slightly disoriented. Yeah. And, and you've been here for, for a little bit over a week now. Um, tell us a little bit 
maybe first about you know your background for maybe some listeners who who don't know who you are, what you do, and uh, and maybe tell us a little bit about why you are uh, making this trip. Why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, justify your existence. The background is that I'm a stationary maniac <laughs> from a long time ago, and people probably mostly know me from Penguins Creative. I'm kind of part of the cult Hobonichi user community, slowly incorporating into the Travelers community, and then now I like half of me is sunk into the ink puddle here in the Fountain Pen community. And uh, I started the podcast with a few friends uh, in 2019 called the Stationery Cafe Podcast. And that's when I got to like meet a lot of people, interview people in the community. And through the podcast, I had the opportunity to meet my current boss, Yuri, who works for Design Film America. So just somehow I stumbled into the other side of the stationary community world. <laughs> I now work for Design Film America, and I'm here in Japan. Finally, not that the you know the pandemic like is opening up a little bit. I'm on a quote-unquote work trip. So um, before we move on there, you weren't working in stationary before Design Film oh, no, America, no, no, right? No, no. Um, how does one go about, you know, breaking into the stationary you know, business? I, I don't think I'm a fair example or like a textbook how to get there because Design feels a very special company. A lot of the creative people in there believes in serendipitous encounters. Okay. Like if to, to work for people uh, like travelers or even like their associate, their acquaintances like TSL, you have to somehow meet them and have a special connection and then they like, you're it. You're it, <laughs> and then and then that's how you come into this thing. Um, but I I've always wanted to be part of it. Like I think even before I got to know more about design film, I'm more into Hobonichi, and I got to be interviewed by them um, one year. I think it was 2017, and since then I've dreamt about oh, can I work for Hobonichi? And they had actually job openings, but they all require Japanese levels to be like super proficient to be able to come or something and when I applied for design for when that opportunity arose and I was like oh you want me to work for you and it's okay I can't speak any Japanese is that's okay and they're completely fine with it so I'm really like wow you might have to look for companies that are you know, more open-minded more global looking <laughs> yes yeah, so I have a sort of question follow-up question about that so as you know more than anyone there are a lot of planner brands in Japan that are almost unknown overseas. You've got Smogs, High Tide, Takahashi, Nolte, and so on. And, and but, but then you have Design Field that has had much success with Traveler's Notebook, and more recently, well, thanks to you, Plotter, right? So, what is it about the DNA about the Design Field? What is it that makes them like, try to expand overseas and be successful at it? DNA of Design Field. Yeah, I think, I think they're not afraid to step out of the box. They it's a three-generation company right now. They own their Midori. Uh, Yuri's grandfather actually started Midori. And then when her father inherited it, he completely rebranded it into Design Film so that each brand and each type underneath Midori can shine on its own. And they all carved their own path and like towards 
different target. Like you have Midori, the Kawaii stationery. You have travelers with that very unique nostalgic style. You have Knox, uh, and then subsequently Potter going that direction. And when Yuri, you know, you're continuing the tour, she's like, I'm taking it to the global level. So she started Design for America, and now they're like full full steam ahead, like spearheading the global expansion. And we're only limited by human resource and capability. Otherwise, you know, everyone else in Europe is like, Potter, when is, when is Potter coming to the UK? You know, like, and I'm like, I really want to go too. <laughs> but we're, we're a very small operation in Long Beach, California. So hopefully we'll get there one day. <laughs> and so, so now you're in Design Field. What exactly do you do for Design Field USA? So I manage um, Potter USA. I helped launch Potter USA before it was only available in Japan and um, Taiwan like since three years ago, I believe, because Potter's pretty new. And so I helped um, launch the Potter USA brand in a, on an e-commerce online shop, do some like in-person events, coordinate with users, share stories, usage examples. And then I also help coordinate some events for Traveler's Company as well. Travers do really well without me. <laughs> they, they they have their own story and marketing, and I just help facilitate them. So, but Plotter is kind of a different beast. They they kind of didn't even have any English translation of anything at all. So, I I was nervously like crafting <laughs> the 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 world building of Plotter in the U.S. and hoping that I'm in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. And I rem- I remember when we. You know, first started talking about Plotter uh, on the podcast, and I think Plotter USA hadn't been launched yet. We had to explain what is system techo, what is yeah. this like ring bound system that isn't spiral bound, uh, and I think it's a little bit different from um, from some of the ring bound stuff that they have in in the UK. I know Brad Dowdy uh, uses one. I, I can't recall the the exact name. Yeah, William Hanna. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit different from from that kind of uh, system. That's a disc yeah, disc disc bound system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to now, I feel like you know maybe my community is just very small, but I feel like now I'm hearing people going crazy over the <laughs> these refills. Um, you know, h- how do you see that evolution? Um, do you think Plotter is at the forefront of that revolution? Because we've mentioned before. Ringbound systems existed, was created by Filofax, right? Back in, you know, 100 years ago, maybe not, not so far back, but, um, you know, came from really the UK then was kind of uh, localized, let's say, in the Japanese market. Yeah, they said the original Ringbound system is because of World War II, like, you know, the generals, they, they use system organizers to manage all the, like, the commands and stuff when they have to coordinate these large attacks. Um, but I would say Ring bound systems, system techos, they call ring planners in the U.S. has always been there, but the paper's just, <laughs> like, they're not good paper. <laughs> a lot of the ring bound market is, like, the print at home. So you're, you're using printer paper to make designs and layouts. So maybe that has not caught the fountain pen enthusiast's attention because it's just not good enough. But it actually works really well for a lot of the minimalistic planner community. The, the 
where you see them stuff it to the max. Like that's a different aesthetics and satisfaction that that group of people really enjoys. And I've always looked in from this like the outside. My my podcast partner Phyllis loves ring system, and she always tests the limits of her rings. Like I think KKK was the Australian brand that was like very. I think they they're bought out by Erin Condren or something right now, but um, but th- these days I think it really popped up in the fountain pen community because of the paper was you know suitable for fountain pen, and I think for me though it's not really about the paper; it's about the smaller ring. Like a lot of people use ring bound systems all this time because they can put everything they want in those like really thick, really heavy personal size. The plotter kind of like you know forces you to downsize and to be more concise, and then for me personally, I used to hate rings. I do not use rings because it gets in my way. I hate the feeling of my like palm hitting the ring wall. But with plotter, the rings are so small, I barely feel it, and then suddenly it's a notebook that 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 I can move around without the inconvenience of the ring, and then. The bonus is the good paper. That's the cherry on top for me. <laughs> yeah, and, and it doesn't it doesn't hurt that they look really good, right? They look really good. Plotter <laughs> is not the only brand that has small rings, but even the other ones like Da Vinci and others with small rings, they can't help but put some pockets on some card slots and whatever. That minimalistic design is, I think, is unique to Plotter. Yeah, a single piece of leather folded in half because usually ring binders um, they use two separate pieces mm-hmm. of leather to. To build together to hold that middle ring section, the plotter is like, nope, a single piece, fold in half, backplate ring, that's it. <laughs> and you also had to introduce this this planner sizes, right? Everyone knows what A five is, but you had to explain what is what Bible sizes, what is M five, M six. That was not really a thing, right? Exactly. In the very beginning, whenever I talk about Bible, I have to say it's personal size. Meaning, it's pocket size. To really get the like, kind of have let them imagine in their mind what exactly it is. But even when they're people who are used to rings, their personal size with the fourteen inches, oh no, fourteen inches too large, fourteen milliliter rings are huge compared to the Potter Bible size. And so I actually had to compare it to Hobonichi Weeks in the very beginning. Like this is like the size of a Weeks, you know, or a B six or something like that. Some people wouldn't use it because they're like, I hate that it's called Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And the weeks is close to the narrow size, right? The weeks is close to the narrow size, but the refill is closer to the Bible size. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I remember when when we were getting our plotters in Japan, uh, and, you know, I'm like master enabler, (laughs) I remember... Uh, Jacob, you and I, we went to we went to um, hands took your hands in Ginza, and we were looking at it. I said, "Hey, Jacob, I got this really cool thing. You check it out." And you were like, "Ah, no, it's too expensive." And then you realized you had the took your hand points. So you're like, "Okay, <laughs> bye." And then, um, unless I remember, we went to Ginza Loft. And I was like, look at this cool thing that I have. Oh, we can go to Loft. We can go to Itoya. Let's check it out. And like, hmm. And then, and then you bought one as well. Um, all original. I think we all got them in A5 sizes. And then we, we found out that actually the smaller sizes work well for us. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what sizes are popular in the U.S.? A5 size is really popular in the U.S. in the beginning. And then now Bible size 
which is, I think, the most popular one in Japan. And it's slowly, yeah, A5 Bible. But we brought the Mini 5 to, to San Francisco Pen Show. Actually, it was introduced earlier, but people start to touch it and feel it at DC and San Francisco. And it's been taking off as well, just as it had took off in Japan for the past two years. <laughs> Why do people use M5? That's, that's also even a mystery to me. This is so small, right? It's, like it's so small. And all you can hear at the pen show, people ask, I don't know what I'll do with this M5, but it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> that's what everyone says. Like, you can't help but want to use it. So I use it as a wallet and like a to-go idea book like that. I, I call it my security blanket that if I go anywhere, there's like a paper and pen. I can have, I can have near me. I put my meishis, my business cards in there as well. And in, in the U.S., I would put my credit card. Um, but yesterday, I was looking at my my the creative director Takayuki Saito's mini five. Oh my gosh, so much stuff he crams into his mini five. He really writes all kinds of things, like billboard signs. Sudden ideas he has. He has like a meeting project manager, an Instagram live project manager, where he just like take notes all day long. Uh, he uses the Mini Five to go through the uh, MR, the train, the train turnstiles. <laughs> like everyone's like doing the phone, like beep beep, Apple Watch maybe, and then he like whips out his plotter <laughs> to go through the gates. <laughs> yeah, the, the minds of creators work differently. Um, but, you know, you mentioned something which are all the different inserts and, and you're saying that you use it as well. There's actually a, a kind of card holder insert and I think that is also the big appeal, at least for me, when it came to plotter. It was not just the paper refills, it was the project managers. That was really cool. The, the maps, that was really cool. It's, you know, all these surrounding accessories uh, that can help make your plotter unique and, and that's just for you, right? So so you, you're, you know, heading plotter in, in the U.S., obviously been, been very, very successful and we were both at DCNS and I saw how successful you were. Um, lots of new plotter users now you know, because of that kind of in-person, now you get to see why these darn things are so expensive and people get to feel the quality of the leather. They, they're kind of understanding this concept. And, you know, a few months later, you have been finally <laughs> sent to Japan to come to the offices here, not just for, for Plotter, but also, I think, um, generally Design Phil. What was your mission here? Oh, my God. I went to, like, the Holy Grail land of, like, the leather tanneries. You know, they they took me to Himeji to see the whole process of how it came about from the raw material to the tanning process, the drying process, the embossing process, to see how, how a, a piece of leather like this came to be. And it was just like mind-blowing. I was like, oh my goodness. Middle of nowhere countryside, we almost hit deers, like driving through the roads. <laughs> um, but it was just amazing to see tanneries small and big and how they operate and it kind of gave me a new appreciation like the wonder they're so expensive there's so many manual aspects in the process of a, a leather tannery and like it's so 
they were telling us it's so hard to find people who want to work in like leather academies these days. The job where they're like drawing the leather pieces, you have to stand on your feet like like ten hours a day. They were all wearing knee braces and stuff, and it was just a really labor intense manual kind of manufacturing process. But they're still kind of keeping on, and Takayuki is that leather enthusiast who's like trying to bring it to life, like the process. And it's dangerous too uh, to work in a tannery. I mean, oh, the, no, the chemicals, chemicals, and depending on how you diet, there's like you know vegetable tan, chrome tan, and and both still uh, happen in Japan. I know. I think in Europe there's some more regulations about how you can tan the leather. How you dispose yeah. dispose of the the wastewater, yeah. all that yeah. stuff. And you're like. Actually, stepping in <laughs> that water, uh, so it's it's not easy to to work in one of these tenders. So no wonder there's a personnel shortage. I mean, being in Himeji, also you know, not everybody wants to move to Himeji <laughs> and, and work at the tenders. There's nothing but that castle. <laughs> that castle is great, though. Um, so I'm sure there are a lot of things that you can't tell us, but. What are some things that you can share uh, with the listeners about you know your trip and you know some things that you learned that you you um, that you want to take back? Um, I I I call this the quote unquote work trip, but to me it's just like my stationery mecca. <laughs> I've been having so much fun. Um, I got to see a lot of cool customization events they do here in in Japan for Plotter. Uh, they they work with this shoe repair craftsman to do a process called antique aging, where they take the plotter to these buffing wheel machines and like speedily age your plotter in ten minutes, what it would look like in ten years. And so that was really cool. And I was like, can we have that? And then and then we went to <laughs> like another one where our our, our artist paints uh, like on monographs, um, calligraphy writings on the letter on our letter pieces and I have him draw a penguin on my name five and I was like can I have that <laughs> can we have that in the US <laughs> so I am just inquisitive this person that like can we just replicate or like have this too and the cool thing is Takayuki my, my boss is very open to doing that so I'm super excited next year we're gonna have way more customization events hopefully um, and I personally got to train how to, I was trained how to put together and fix the binders and like fix ring gaps and all that stuff. So I'm more confident in our surfacing <laughs> of Potter in the U.S. instead of just like, you know, selling it, but having to ship it back to Japan. So I think next year will be a big growth year for Potter for sure. And new, new leather, possibly, that are USA limited. <laughs> so... <laughs> You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Um, one question that I think we get a lot on the podcast, and, and we never really answer this question, is how come it's such a process? How come there are things that the Japanese um, companies keep to themselves? They don't bring to, to the U.S.? You know, don't they know that everybody here wants to buy it? Can you share a little bit of insight on, on why that happens? And, you know, obviously you said next year will be a big year for Plotter. Uh, and you said that um, Takeki-san is, is very keen to do this. But from 
an expert's perspective, you know, what do you think about that? How, how do you respond to that? I think they just didn't know what their reception is like. They they really focus a lot on the Japanese market. It took taking Takayuki to San Francisco Pen Show for him to see the the enthusiasm of of users there, and it's very different from the users in Japan. Like he he holds events and stuff, but you can imagine, you know, the, the women that are collecting water goes up to him, thank you so much, very cool, and leaves. But in in San Francisco, people were like badgering him, showing him their their refills, kind of like showing them how the pens work. He got to see some people using fountain pens. And I think that is what kind of sparked his interest. He was like, oh my gosh, these people see my passion and I see theirs. And I feel like that didn't happen for many of the other brands, maybe. Like they weren't able to see this enthusiasm outside of Japan that's just as high as inside the Japanese market. So I would imagine one challenge with Plotter, just based on what I see in Japan, it would be production capacity because as you've seen, even in Japan, Plotter is not widely available. Like you have to go to the, to the major stationers, or Yuri Toyas and Marazens, and buy them. And the popular editions are usually sold out. And there is an online store, but everything is sold out on an online store, right? Yeah, the online sells out so fast. Yeah. So then you go to the second-hand markets. And right now, if you look at the prices for, say, the fifth anniversary, or the pink one on the second-hand market, it's like twice the price. It's approaching like Romebox Fujiyama prices yeah, now, right? Yeah. It's, it's insane, right? Really? So it seems to me as if there's a difficulty in producing enough of these binders for Japan and let alone overseas, right? So... Has that been been a difficult been a challenge? Definitely, our lead time went from three months to four months. Just in this year, I've worked at Plotter. We we get uh, out of stock pretty frequently in the U.S. side too. <laughs> People always ask, and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> I just placed an order, so that means in like February. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a struggle for us as well. So that is why. Uh, you have not seen, you will not see wholesale very soon in the U.S. Just because ourselves, we were having trouble maintaining good inventory. So, and the limited edition is just, I think it's also because it's really hard to buy large batch of special leather. That's that's probably one of the reasons. So they can usually only order like, you know, a, a piece of leather cow size. You can at like minimum quantity five piece, and then of that you can. You know, probably like fifty plotters, and that's that's pretty much it. So they're also conscious. Um, it's funny. I observed that Takayuki is very keen to do many things, but they they have like a realistic sales team reining him in. Can't do everything. <laughs> otherwise, he would. Otherwise, he would increase quantity. Otherwise, he would try more refills. But the Japanese market's also the Japanese corporate market is also very realistic sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, speaking of this production issue, it's not just the leather, right? Also, what I've heard is that the inserts, uh, the refills, uh, have have stock um, limitations. Uh, I think more in the U.S. and less so here because we have so many choices. Do you think it would be healthy to see um, compatible refills that are maybe not from Design Film popping up in the West as well? We can't help that, to be honest, because System Techno in, in its core is being able to use anything you want. <laughs> so 
I think it will just kind of build the ecosystem. You know, it, it, you know, I I don't force people to buy Potter leather. I said try out the refills in your original binders, or you know, if you have, want to make your own TRP refills. Go ahead, enjoy the leather. <laughs> yes, I heard that that uh, on Jetpen, for example, they've been selling this Da Vinci refill for, for many years. You know, and no one bought them because they didn't know what it was. But suddenly people realized, hey, this is from a river and it's compatible with plotters. Now it's like sold out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was really hard to get them now. <laughs> yeah, especially now since, you know, it's harder even to get to a river in the first place. Um. Well, thank you, April, for sharing your Japan adventures. Uh, obviously, they, they haven't ended yet. Can you tell us a little bit about you know what you're excited to do uh, in the coming days before you leave? Well, I, I staved off meeting CY till this last weekend. I knew I couldn't meet him earlier. <laughs> you know, it's dangerous for my wallet. <laughs> I did quite a lot of damage already at like the usuals loft, you know, Tokyo Hands. We went there last night and um, I went to all the Traverse factory and bought like everything they can. <laughs> my colleagues keep saying thank you to me <laughs> for boosting the economy. <laughs> So, so yeah, I'm just looking forward to this last two days, really visiting the high-end stationary world. Um, I used to be the loft Sekaido person, and this year I'm, I'm Itoya. visiting Itoya Maruzen, you know. I went to shows like Ikora, yesterday, yeah. it was like, whoa, yeah. different world. So I'm, I'm excited to explore that, that tier of the stationary. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Now, uh, you know, taking our, our podcast uh, train over to the news because there is a lot of cool and exciting news as well. Um, I've separated in the show notes just by, by brand. Um, let's talk a little bit about Pilot. And Pilot doesn't do a lot of limited editions as we've uh, often discussed, but in short succession, we've seen two Western Japanese uh, exclusives. So the first one that was announced was the Delta 845. So this is, I would I would describe this as the slimmer version of the Custom Urushi. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, it's kind of funny because this has been around for longer than Custom Urushi, right? So, so it, people used to say the Custom Urushi is the fat rate 845. <laughs> yeah, the difference is obviously the, the girth, but also the, the nib that he uses, I believe, the 845 is still size 15. Yeah, but it's 18K in your tone, yeah. Yes, yes. And uh, Delta, uh, sorry, stationary, uh, giftionary Delta is releasing the 845 in blue. Jade, and I believe. Right. Photos weren't great, so it's hard to tell what the real color is going to be, but I think they call it Jade. And it's, it is an anniversary, with, but it's a bit confusing because, as far as I understand, it's the 80th anniversary of the founding, but then the 70th anniversary of the company being of, like officially established. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, this pen is gonna be it's gonna be seventy pence in total, and the price is like eighty eight thousand yen, uh, which means it's gonna get sold out a day. Uh, in an instant. Yeah. So I think actually this pen looks pretty handsome. It's like this bluish greenish kind of color, uh, and we know that this color obviously works super super well, uh, and just because the rarity of such items, um, I think. Giftionary Delta, they, they've hit on something good here. And it's rare, I think, for even them. 80 years of history 
they don't do a lot of collaborations with Pilot, but they've really taken that opportunity. Uh, and I went to Gift Journey Delta a few weeks ago to the to the physical store. They're actually in the lobby of a large uh, large business building. Uh, so they've got a lot of business people going up and down, up and down, people going to meetings, um, you know, really your corporate suits. So, you know, just given their location, I would say that this collab probably fits in more with the image rather than the tone of limb stuff that they've been doing, uh, which I think, you know, is, is really interesting and, and I'm all for this collaboration. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I think nowadays most people associate, especially people overseas who have heard of that, associate them with, you know, tone of limbs collaborations, right? Uh, the second one is a, is a Western Japan kind of, there's this Western Japan um, store alliance kind of thing. Yeah, I thought it was a parent club at first, but as you say, it's actually the, the, the retailers that yeah. have some organization there. And it's called Oeste, and they, their color is pink. And they've done a pink, uh, pink and white decimal before, I believe. Uh, no, uh, capitalist. Maybe it was a full-size capitalist. Anyways, one, one of the two. And this time they're coming out with a pink custom, uh, custom seventy four. Super kawaii. <laughs> but it's very little details so far. There's no price. I think at least last time I checked, it wasn't any price. No price yet. But this kind of looks like this um, Hello Kitty meets Sailor Moon kind of a uh, kind of color scheme. And I think this is totally the opposite spectrum in terms of target audience from that 845. I think both in price and, and in theme. Well, to me, this looks like someone went to Ancora and, and made their own, like, Sailor Prophet Jr., right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and then put it on a pilot. But I, I think it's cool that they're doing this. Um, and it's funny because uh, the the Dictionary Delta uh, boss, he's also the head of Oeste. <laughs> so it, it's funny from his mind you get both the super high-end kind of, you know, more with some pen, and then you get, like, the really young, kawaii, kind of, I guess, Josudai, um, uh, women's university kind of pen. So that's pretty cool. Um, speaking of pilot, though, we are going to see, I believe, a price increase. It has been uh, announced, at least internally, to, to vendors and distributors that I think we will see a 15 to 30% price increase uh, early next year. So, you know, stay tuned for that. But nonetheless, um, Platinum is also, I believe, price increasing. And the 3776, I believe, will go to um, around or more than 20,000 yen. So this puts Pilot still, even after a price increase, at an interesting price point between that of you know, yes, they're they're expensive. They're probably going to be fifteen thousand to to seventeen thousand uh, Japanese yen, but still, they're they're going to be for the first time in a long time one of the the, the cheaper gold nib options. Whereas the thirty seven seventy six, we talked to a lot of store staff that have told us it has been the best selling fountain pen in, or gold nib fountain pen in Japan, specifically because of that price. So it's been a long time coming, but yeah. Pilot will also have a price increase in the next year, and that's not surprising. Yeah, and related to that, Sailor just uh, announced a uh, revised um, earnings and income forecast for this year, and they have revised down the uh, uh, estimated net income for this year by 90%. Oh, wow. 
Wow. The sales remains unchanged, but the net income down by, by 90%. And they say that the reason is, as we have talked about so many times, you know, increased uh, gold prices. And then they specifically mention higher than expected sales prior to the price increase. So they, they complain <laughs> that people bought too many pens before they got to revise the prices and that killed their profit margin. Well, it seems like uh, somebody who's who's doing sales planning at Sailor didn't know, they don't understand how price increases work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But speaking of Sailor, uh, there are several interesting releases, I believe. The first one uh, I want to talk about is this Itoya exclusive called um, uh, Temisu. And this, I believe, was released just on Tuesday. It's a gray version of the Black Luster. And I posted on Instagram stories, it's, um, it's pretty similar in price to the Black Luster. But it's a 1911 uh, profit shape. It's in the full 21K uh, Pro Gear size. And I think it's interesting because Itoya, they generally... You know, what we said about uh, Gift Sharing Delta not usually collaborating with, with uh, Pilot. You know, usually they don't necessarily collaborate with Sailor that often. Yeah, they do Pilot. They do Pilot. So so I think it's quite interesting they're, they're bringing this new exclusive, but they're also bringing it on the Black Luster model, which I'm not sure is the most popular model. And the color is this kind of like gray, grayish kind of color. Um, which to me looks a little it's like off black it's between off black and off white and then with the with the uh the black ip um, the black iron plated um, section and, and nib it looks kind of cool but i'm not sure it looks cool enough for me to buy maybe this is a maybe business gift rather than <laughs> <laughs> i did ask if it was a limited uh number and they told me that even though the pens aren't numbered there is a limited number and they produce them and that's all they're gonna get so what was the price again uh i will have to check um i put up on stories but honestly i don't really remember uh too much um but it was i think not it wasn't like the crazy shishkura prices for sure um it's fifty six thousand uh, Japanese, so, so maybe it is the crazy shit. <laughs> well, last time I bought a black luster new on Amazon, I paid fifteen thousand yen. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember paying like twenty thousand yen. So that's Sailor. Um, everybody's price increasing, but I think Sailor's just done it very quickly and in, in quick succession. But clearly not fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, we talked a little bit last time about Bungabox. Um, they released the Cinderella Riala, which I believe is only the second um, bandless Riala to have been released. And I think it's a pretty cool pen. Apparently they did fairly well at Pen Show. But what's interesting about this is now Yoseka Stationery are carrying Bungabox products, which include this, this pen as well as the, the Allison in Wonderland pens, both on the Prophet Junior as well as the, the new uh, mini with the brass section. What do you think about Google Box items being available from 
a retailer that's based in the U.S. Because I think that's a very exciting development for for Yoseka. Haven't Boombox products been been available before? Maybe just the ink. I remember seeing Boombox inks from like Vaness pens yeah, or whatever it was. Yeah, Boombox had inks from Vaness, but I think the Boombox inks were provided through Itoya of America. Yeah, because they're available in the in the online pen show or the ink shows. But this, I believe, is a deal negotiated directly uh, with um, Kaurasan and Neil and Daisy. And uh, I, I have information that um, that Kaurasan might go to New York to directly meet and see Yoseka in the coming months. So I'm excited to hear her thoughts after she comes back. I want to talk to her and, and you know, see where her mind is at on that. I'd like to see that. I mean... That is just so exciting to me because both Yoseka is kind of like the cutting edge of like, for lack of a better word, like Asian introduction to many Americans. And Boonga Box, man, they she's got some sort of weird second sense or something about being able to offer what people really want. Mm-hmm. And um, I buy more there than I really ought to, but but now it now Americans have the opportunity to do that. But I think this is a match made in heaven. I'd really like to see that strengthened because I think they're both going to benefit from it, but also the pen community is really going to benefit from it. So there's one thing that, um, you know, I've obviously, or maybe it's not obvious, but um, but I've been helping sell some pens or I don't know, helping is or reselling is is the correct word. But when pe- people will ask me to, to buy pens for them uh, from Japan and ship to the U.S. and especially in this year uh, people are complaining to me about um, because I charge in U.S. dollars they complain to me about uh, the exchange rate why my conversion rate is so much worse than the actual conversion rate which is fine um, the point I want to get to is that Bunga Box ships internationally you you can buy and you could for a long time buy from Bunga Box and have it shipped to your door via DHL now, if you buy through Yoseka it's going to be much more expensive um, what do you think is is the merit for Yoseka to carry the Booker Box products, given that they're already available directly? Well, you can walk into their store yeah. and buy it. That's a big one. And another thing is just I don't I don't think people really realize. I mean, we live here and we deal with it all the time, but I don't think people realize just how, in some ways, timid some people are to order anything overseas. Mm. They're always thinking, oh, if it gets lost, I get screwed. We're talking mm. about five hundred dollars, you know, or whatever. So there's a certain amount of trust in being able to, uh, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but to be able to order something from within the United States to have shipped within the United States. So that's a real big plus. And what that will do is open up like Boonga Box and, and Japanese pens to uh, more Americans. You know, we're, we're, we're not talking about the people that collect all kinds of platinums and collect all kinds of Nakayas or whatever. We're talking about someone that may never, never have bought a collaboration pen at all, a Japanese collaboration pen. So I'm hoping that it opens more people to this. I'm really excited about that. And this extends to like after sales support too, right? Yeah, so if you bought them locally, yeah. you have a store you can go to. You need to ship it across the world. Exactly. Yeah, that's just a really good point. Have you not heard about my Mikan saga? <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I, will, I bought the Mikan from Bungu Box. It was shipped via DHL. And on the day it was supposed to come, it said someone signed for it, and it's delivered, and it wasn't. 
And I was like, "Here's my Nest camera pointing at the door. There's no one." And on the signature it says Mark. And I was like, "Who's this Mark?" And then I that day, I think the second day, I like emailed DHL. I like emailed Bungu Box, and Bungu Box asked me to wait a little bit, but then also DHL told me to ask the shipping carrier to handle it. And that by then the Bungu Box, I think the Mikan was like it was a waiting list, so I was like, "Oh no, they're not gonna have more." I was freaking out. Three days later, through my Nest camera, this DHL guy ran up to the stairs, threw it on my porch, and like scurries away. I was like, "That's Mark, Mark, damn you, Mark!" <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, that's oh, so it did no. deliver, but it was in horrible shape. The box was like crunched up. I I sent a photo to the box, like it's here, and they're like, "Oh my god, why is the box like that?" <laughs> That was quite the experience, and I would feel better if it comes from Sika, like nicely packaged. And it's worth a little bit extra money, I think. You know, reliable tracking, like overseas. Like I, my thought that first day was just like I just spent three hundred fifty dollars on this, and I don't think I'm gonna get it back or get a replacement pen, which I would prefer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and Box, I think was was helpful throughout. They were, uh, yeah. But I I totally agree with you. One thing that I want to add is um, Bungabox on the on the Instagram post that Yosika announced it. He said, "Thank you, Yosika. You totally understand our vision." And I think that's actually a key point in this. They, um, Karasan is very ambitious, uh, and I think especially within the Japanese pen community and pen sphere, she's like the the trailblazer, right? Even though. In the West, it might seem like, oh, why, why are they so conservative? How come they make so little of, of their, their pens? But here in Japan, she's really the trailblazer. And um, she has a very specific vision of how she wants her stores to look, how she wants her products to be presented. And, you know, quite frankly, there has been no store in the United States that was up to that level of execution until Yoseka Stationery. And I was there this summer. I can really feel the passion, the love that they have for their products, and the the execution is just magnificent. So I think um, they really managed to find a partner that shares the the same vision of what stationery uh, should be like and what the experience should be like, and it's much harder to express a product. It's much harder to express the the uh, story of the product through just a screen but if it's right in front of you when there's somebody can explain the story to you explain what this is i think there's much more impact so i think everything you're saying now about bong box can also be said for kakimori and i think that would also explain why these japanese brands that are ambitious and, and, and they find yoseka which is the natural partner yeah the yoseka shopping experience you have you have you had the Yoseka shopping experience? Usually, pen stores in the U.S. it's over a glass cabinet, like glass display case, right? And Yoseka, when you come in, they don't give you a shopping bag. They give you a wooden tray, and you put your items on the wooden tray, and they set it aside for you. So that tray, kind of like in Japan, in Japan, when you like they serve you tea on a wooden tray, they take your pen meticulously put it on the thing. It's exactly like that. It's it's very Asian, very like customer-centric, like yeah. they, 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 they and, take care of you, yeah. And their their staff, I have to shout out their staff, they're all, 
like um, practitioners. They're all artists or uh, or writers or whatever, but they use the products and they can tell you how they use the product. And I think it's just something quite special. I said this when I came back, even if they were in Japan, they would probably be in the top five, top ten list for sure. Um, we're kind of, uh, running over time, but, um, yesterday, Bungabox, uh, or two days ago, Bungabox announced another Rialo, which is the, the new 2022, uh, which Rialo. I don't want to talk too much about the pen. It's cool. Go check it out. Um, first of all, they're using old product photos to sell this new product. So the product photos that you see on the website and on the, on the Instagram post is not the actual product that you're going to receive, uh, which I think is hilarious because it, they, they can sell pens now with just drawings and like photos of different products. But what I found interesting is about even one year ago, nobody wanted to make reals because they said it was too expensive. Um, people aren't going to buy it. And I remember going to the shops and, trying to like almost get into fights with them like no you have to make this real you have to make this real please make this in reality and then all of a sudden this year everybody's starting to make reals and nagasawa's making realos bungamox made two realos in one year which which i think is, is crazy almost unheard of so i asked them i said you know um why are you making so many realos now and what they said to me was uh well i said do the realos sell really well and they said Yes, especially in the U.S. They don't understand why. They they really don't get it. But the Rialos sell super, super well in the West. And I think it's because of the, the culture of using bottled ink as well. And it's kind of fun just to just twist the piston. And I think for them, it's, it's a big surprise. But it also fits as a brand for, for Bungabox with much more global ambitions than a uh, than some of the other stores that we see who stick mostly with pro gears because as we've talked about most customers and they still use cartridges and I, I just found that really interesting obviously we also had the the Bungabox e23 with large ink capacity uh, internal building mechanism and I, I think it's it's cool now some retailers maybe Bungabox can once again you know pave the path to to more complex uh, pens without fearing the price. Speaking of piston fillers, Fine Writing International is also developing a size six piston filler. Yeah, I saw that on, on their stories today. That was a teaser. Yeah, that was a teaser. It looked pretty good. Um, and coupled with that, I think um, there are some independent makers now in the, the US and the UK who are using these 3D printed uh, piston mechanisms from a guy called um, Shakur. And I feel like there's a an increase in independent makers as well as, of course, the, the larger makers now making piston fillers. Whereas I think a year ago, most independent maker pens were pretty much uh, cartridge converter or eyedropper only pens, right? So I think it's it's quite cool that we see that um, trend where there's more complexity in fountain pens. Um, and yeah, I like that. Yeah, you've always been a fan of self-filling 
Depends <laughs> as we know. Yeah. I just want to go back just quickly to what you said about the wrong box and you know the the online photos they're using the 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 wrong the wrong photos. We have talked so much in the past about how the many Japanese retail stores that they really suck at social media, right? And it was a particularly hilarious example yesterday. So yesterday was November eleventh, right? All of the Japanese retailers they post a photo <laughs> of five pens, um, like to make me look like eleven slash eleven. Right. Everyone does that in Japan for some reason. <laughs> and Platinum did that. And they said, here's our 11, uh, November 11 photo. And this year we showcase our Procyon pen. But it was Curidas. <laughs> and the other comments were like, hey, guys, you got, the, you got, you got your product name wrong. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Whoever is doing Platinum is... Uh, do, do, do people do that in the States? April, I, the love and love he showed me this morning on the phone. I'm like, I, I didn't notice that. <laughs> <laughs> but what's strange about Platinum is that their social media game, as far as I understand, is super strong in China. They're like Mr. Beast Mr. in Beast. China, right? Oh, but, seriously? Yeah, they're, they're really good at you know, they have on Weibo and everywhere else, right? And they do all kinds of special editions, and the marketing is brilliant, I've heard. While in Japan, it's just Henrik. Does I remember our one of our popular episode names, which I will not, I will not say here. You have to be a loyal listener to understand that reference. All right. Um, last topic that I want to touch on is uh, is Cypress, formerly known as Mr. Cypress. They're coming out with gold nib pens uh, that fit size 6 uh, pens, which I think is super curious because they've got a bunch of options, which is fine. Um, but then they have the hand-engraved options, just like Pen BBS. And I suspect that they're probably made at the same factory. Uh, and that factory was a booth, this time at the Tokyo International Pen Show. Cypress told me a while back about this. I, I, I mean, I didn't ask where they're made, but, but it's very exciting that they are now offering gold nibs. And we have heard from pen makers, without ne- mentioning any names, that there's been some difficulties with both Jova and Bach, right? I think there are probably many pen makers that are looking for alternatives to source the nibs. So I think this is, this is good news. Yeah, and, and I've tried these nibs. I've tried the pen BBS nibs. I've tried well, the OEM's original nibs. And uh, yeah, obviously I haven't tried the, the Mr. Cypress one because they're not released yet. But this is really promising, and again, I was saying this earlier about the piston fillers. I'm glad to see people not shying away from more complex mechanisms. And I think, I think it's not a secret that we're going to go into a global recession fairly soon within the next year or two years. I mean, Vic, you'll know more than me about this. But in times of economic difficulty, oftentimes the higher end products survive better than the lower end products, which is kind of a total paradox but luxury brands tend to do super well during recessions because they hold their value and i think we're seeing a little bit i don't think it's it's conscious but we're definitely seeing um, signs that companies want to be seen as evergreen products and uh and i think that's that's actually pretty cool um and then we're going to have new players come up and fill up that uh low to to mid-range um after the recession, I, I I think that's like a you know ten years down the line, but I think it's it's interesting and I think it's great because up until you know really this year we've had 
too many pens that are just the same pens over and over again, and now we're seeing something new. And ironically, it's in times like this where we have interesting, exciting developments. So in difficult times, we buy realos. <laughs> difficult times, we buy realos. We have many, uh, we have many competition, uh, many competing potential titles <laughs> of, this, of this episode. All right. Um, with that being said, I think that is all that we have for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for, for joining us. Once again, this has been episode 70. If you've been with us so far, please uh, rate, review, subscribe. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. Share with a friend. Share with a family member. Post on Reddit. Post on Facebook. Post on Instagram, uh, Discord, TikTok, Twitch, wherever you can. And help us. Uh, yeah. Maybe Twitter, but only if you only if you are gray check mark verified. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's been a blast, and thank you so much, especially to April. Thank you for sharing your experiences. Uh, with that being said, my name is CY. You can find me on my website at TokyoStationPens.com, on Instagram and TikTok at TokyoStationPens, and on Twitter at TokyoStationMNH. And my name is Jacob. I'm a fan on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, etc. Alisa, Inky Rocks, YouTube, Instagram, and everything else. I'm April from Penguins Creative, and tune into the Stationery Cafe podcast, too. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.